Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. And now a very special Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Oh my god, oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> Geek Top 5 is back. We're we're still locked indoors. Yay. <laughs> but, but, we're back, and we're seeing to some unfinished business. How many decades have we been in quarantine now? Uh, 37. Yeah. Ah, great. great. It's been, yeah, it's been 370 years. Uh-huh. Um, plus the amount of time in between uh, since the last time we did this show. <laughs> so, uh, it's a while. Yeah, in any case, uh, so this uh, you this was your idea to bite off this piece and see if we could chew it. Did you like to fill in the audience on what's going on here today? Yes, so I'm not going to bury the lead. We are ranking all 23 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Not the um, top five. Not the not most the recent top five. five. Yeah, we <laughs> are going... Them. This is Geek Top 23 this week. Uh, maybe may run a little longer than normal, but we're probably going to be... As brief as possible, considering the subject matter. And the way we are going to rank these lists, Jesse and I have two completely different lists. We haven't discussed it prior to this. And we're just going to we're gonna start at the bottom of our two lists, and we're going to keep going one by one. Uh, we're only going to talk about the movies when we have both said it. So let's say I rank a movie last, and Jesse ranks it 15th. We're not going to talk about it until we get to Jesse's 15th, because there's no point in us talking about it twice. But once we get there, we can talk about why we ranked the movie where we did. Sound good? Works for me. Okay. So uh, I am going to be flipping through a couple of different screens, so you may pick up my my uh, keyboard, but try to ignore that, and I will try to be very quiet about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Quarantine edition. Thing, you know, the bar is a little lower. Oh, yes. All right. So I guess then let's start with you. What is your number 23? My 23 is Iron Man 2. My 23 is also Iron Man 2. Oh, my God. We get a talking round right off the bat. Amazing. Great minds think alike. And it's too okay. bad that none of them were involved with this movie. No, no, no. I'm it's, it's, you know, that's the thing with Marvel movies. Even the worst of the MCU movies is not terrible. But uh, yeah, this is this is one of the things that occurred to me while I was putting this together. Like I was, I have thanks to uh, uh, you know thanks to the quarantine and other uh, benefactors, I've got access to Disney Plus, and I was watching bits and pieces of the movies, some whole movies, just to refresh my memory. And what it really what it really occurred to me while I was doing it is. I will watch just about any of these movies at any time for any reason. So even the worst of them is not that bad. That being said, Iron Man 2 is the only one where if I saw it on, I'd be like, you know, I might pass. Yeah. Let's, uh, I don't think there's anything here that too many people are unfamiliar with. I mean, nobody ever cared about Whiplash as a villain. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's totally fair. Yep. And then was he even the main, the A-plot villain? I guess he sort of was, but the climax was them versus drones? Yeah, drones. Because that's exciting. (laughs) That's kind of a constant theme of the Iron Man stories, but uh, Justin Hammer is is the guy who controls those drones as memory serves, and he's played by Sam Rockwell, who I love in just about anything, and I feel like he's so underused here, so underutilized. Right, and, what a waste and, of the talent. Like, just, yeah. He, such a great character actor, and they decided to go with Whiplash? 
and and Whiplash, Mickey Rourke is playing him, and he doesn't it doesn't feel like anyone's put a leash on him at all. So he's got all these weird actor quirks. He's got a very over the top accent, and the two villains never really mesh. Like if you're gonna have two villains against the hero, you gotta have them connect in some way, work together in some way. But it feels like two completely separate plots, even though they are technically working together. And then on top of that, there was the other plot where this is the one where he's sick and he's dying, and that's why he's decided to sort of backslide into the jerk he was in Iron Man 1. And then I guess he finds, like, he gets his mojo back, and so he manages to stop himself from dying by inventing a new element. I'm saying all these words because the movie put them together like this. Like, these were words that put in the sequence actually made sense. But they don't. I mean, so they made sense to someone. But I will say that it's it's like let's let's try and look at the positive. I mean, we get more happy Hogan with it. Any any more of John Favreau in the movies is usually good. It introduced Black Widow, which I always forget that this is where Black Widow started. Right. And she, again, she shows up at the start like she's masquerading as an intern or something, right? Yeah, and even then, the the whole time you're like, is the movie trying to hide who she is? Like, it's so obvious, even from the get-go. Like, she was in all of the advertising, so to have her be there as some sort of secret identity, it feels weird. It's like, the movie hasn't told us who she is, and yet we know who she is. Anyway, I, I found her very underutilized in it as well. Like, there's too many things going on in the movie, and none of them really get a chance to shine. Yeah, admittedly, like, the thing I remember most about this movie is the after credits was the lead into Thor. Right. It has Agent Coulson in the desert, and we see Mjolnir there. Like, that was oh. the most memorable part of Iron Man 2 for me. So good. And uh, the other great thing that it introduced was Don Cheadle as uh, Rhodey, as War Machine, and... Um, Terrence Howard played him in the first movie, and there were contract disputes and whatever, and, and Terrence Howard was fine in the first movie, but Don Cheadle, from this movie through to Endgame, is so great in this role. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say superior to Terrence Howard. Like, all his sort of teriology, nutcase stuff aside, um, I think Don Cheadle is a superior actor for this role. I would go with that as well. All right, let's move on to number 22. All right. I've got the first Thor. Oh, my, my number 22 was Thor The Dark World. Interesting. Okay, well, we got to keep going. Okay. Uh, let me just pencil this in. i got to find a better way to do this. Uh, and you're going to have to vamp more. 21, I've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. I've got The Incredible Hulk. Wow. Okay, do some vamping. Yeah. Uh, the, um, but I don't want to talk about the movie because you're not talking about it. So, hey, have you guys tried... Um, oh, we have some <laughs> corporate sponsors. Oh, we got to fix that. Yeah, we okay. got to fix that. For 20, I have Thor to the Dark World. <laughs> okay, so for 20, I had Captain Marvel. But now we've both mentioned Thor to the Dark World. Okay. All right, vamp for me. Yeah, so, well, in this case, we're talking about the movie, so I can get started. Thor the Dark World, Thor 2. Um, again, I think like Iron Man 2, two very different movies, two very different plots. Um, an A plot, what was supposed to be the A plot with Mal- Malkith, Malakith, and the Dark Elves as the most forgettable villains of the entire MCU, but also a bravura performance from Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Um, this movie is so far down on my list because I don't care a single whit about the Dark Elves or the Ether or anything else that happens in this movie, except for the cool development of Thor and Loki's relationship, uh, which is why it didn't go straight down to number 23. 
So I, I, this is one of the ones that I rewatched in preparation for this because I, I had seen it and I remembered liking it, but I remember it getting sort of tarnished uh, in over time. Like, like people really crapped on it after it came out, and I always really liked, I, and I still am a sucker for it when the bad guy from a previous movie and the good guy team up to fight a greater threat. And so that helped bump it up in my estimation. I also, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins as Odin is so good. He just chews the scenery every time he's on screen. And I know that's usually a bad thing, but he's so good at it. Like, he seems like he's having such a good time. Uh, but one of the other things that, that sets it back is Thor in these early movies is very stiff and and not that interesting in his solo films. Okay, yeah, I can sort of see that. He, he I, th- I feel oh, we'll have to talk about it because yours was lower. I felt like he got away with it more in the first Thor because I did a fish out of water story. Yeah. Um, so playing him off against you know, Natalie Portman and you know and her Scooby Crew, uh, mm-hmm. I thought worked really well. But yeah, in this, it's just Thor being a Viking. Yeah, uh, and, and being especially like... com- up next to Loki, who is a riot in this movie. Uh, yeah, he, Hemsworth suffers. Yeah, and and in the first movie, Thor is also trying to redeem himself because he's you know he's been cast out of Asgard and has to live on Earth. Whereas in this one, he's the prodigal son. He's everything's going right for him. He's he's destined to be king, and so he doesn't. It doesn't feel like he's got as much going against him. He doesn't yeah. have as much pressure. Yeah, and the dark elves do not apply any pressure. Like as villains, they are so hollow. They are so meaningless. I yeah. don't. I still don't understand why were they a threat to Asgard. I don't know, and re-watching it, I was like, they've got these spaceships and guns and grenades, and it just doesn't feel like it fits. Like, it sounds like a cool concept on paper, but when you're doing the the fantasy, high fantasy with swords and sorcery, to have guys rush in on spaceships, it just doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, I mean, it is possible to do right. Um, I think a lot of Final Fantasy games do that really well, where they have like some guys with guns versus guys with swords. Like it can be done in a neat way. They didn't get it right here. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is Natalie Portman. As much as I like her and other stuff, I find her utterly charisma free as Jane Foster. Yeah, it's weird. Like, like Natalie Portman gets a bad rap because of the Star Wars movies, but she's done some really serious acting that I really buy. And I don't know if she was just phoning it in for this one. Um, this one in particular, like even like the first Thor, even at least she had more of a role. But God, she mm-hmm. was just such, she was such a MacGuffin in this one. Like she was just a plot point to be passed around by other characters. Maybe that's not entirely her fault. Maybe that's the writing. I don't know. But there's just yeah. a lot of empty space around her. Um, and f- Cat Dennings, Cat Dennings steals every scene she's in, which is you know that's kind of weird. Like the secondary female character has way more charisma and and is way more magnetic than the lead female character. Yeah, it's the wacky sidekick. Yeah. As well. yeah. I would like to point out that this one did end with the cool twist of revealing that Loki had supplanted Odin. Like, I yes. love that twist. It's not worth the rest of the movie. Maybe it's worth, like the you know, again, watching Loki's arc and seeing how that whole plan unfolds is really cool. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. do that a disservice. But yeah, the movie and the whole, yeah. All right, number 19, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. That's my number 19 as well. What? That's so random. Okay, I was watching that in in bits and pieces. Uh, That was the last one I wanted to try and get through before we started this, because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And it is a long movie. Yeah. And it's... 
almost too Joss Whedon-y. Like, like he's the writer-director of it, and, and I really like a lot of his stuff. But for some reason in this, it is... I'm finding it more grating. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I'm not sure I agree, but I know what you mean that it's very Whedon. Every other line is a funny quip. The opening, like the opening, being pre-credits roll attack on the base that Hydra is doing. Though we will never surrender, and the guy turns to his guy. Okay, so I plan to surrender. Yes. Like, haha, what a fun turnaround! But like, every line is like that. Everybody is hilarious, uh, which which does sort of weigh. If everybody's hilarious, no one is hilarious, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 got some good stuff. I find. Um, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk is a little, or rather his Bruce Banner is a little too tortured for my taste in it, especially compared to some of the other movies. He just, out of the blue, seems to be having a really hard time with being Hulk more than he was in the first movie. Um, yeah, this is also where I think where the uh, the relationship between him and Black Widow just suddenly appears. Yeah, and then basically disappears. Yeah, so that sort of sticks out as kind of strange. It also, uh, it, there is a lot of great stuff in it, though. Like, I, I don't want to sell it too short, you know? I Like I said, I could sit and watch the whole thing. It's it's the scene... I find a lot of the downtime scenes in this movie are the highlights. Like, um, them trying to pick up Thor's hammer. Like, they're all sort of drunk and sitting around after a party trying to oh. lift Mjolnir. That is a hilarious scene and a great, what do you call it, like a foreshadowing. Yeah. They need to but draw so knew? much attention to it. But yeah, they but, couldn't have known. They couldn't have known that that was going to happen 20 movies later, right? Oh, well, heck, I was just talking about Vision. Oh, yes, yes, like, yes. The, that the reason too. the reason that scene is in that movie is because later when everyone like the characters and the audience is trying to figure out whether to trust Vision or not, he gives his heroic speech and you're still thinking, "Oh, I don't know." But then the camera zooms out and he's handing Thor his hammer. After this whole like 11-minute sequence of you have to be worthy, you have to like, it was a very clever setup and also just a really entertaining scene to watch. I give them a lot of credit for that one scene, actually. By, by downtime, I thought you meant the stuff like, like Hawkeye's family and stuff, which is great and heartwarming, and, but it's not, the, it's not what you remember when you think Marvel Cinematic Universe. I suppose. Do you think it, it grinds things to a halt too much? No, I think at that point in the movie, it needs to slow down and they need to talk. Um, and I kind of liked seeing that, you know, there's... There's other sides to some of these characters, especially the more human ones. Yeah, it was a nice reveal um, that, that Hawkeye had a family, especially, like, I, I noticed in this one early on, uh, I think the random uh, Chinese doctor who was only put there so that they could have a bigger opening in China or whatever, have a better chance at opening the movie in China, she makes a joke about Hawkeye having a girlfriend, and, and he says, oh, I don't have a girlfriend, right, and knowing what's to come, yeah. Yes, that was a yes. nice touch. Yeah. Also, this movie had the Hulkbuster armor for the first time, which I know is just a special effect, but damn, was that awesome to see on the screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. And Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are both a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, looking, I, he, this... looking back, I feel like maybe it was the smart decision to kill off Quicksilver. I don't know how much more there was to that character. At the time, I really hated it because well, they just introduced him and then they shot him immediately. Looking back, maybe that was the right call. I mean, especially compared to what happened to the X-Men Quicksilver. Yeah, I guess. He had his, his montage of fame, and then they made yeah. the next movie and get, did the exact same thing again. Uh, yeah. Know. 
Uh, but in the comics, Quicksilver has had some amazing storylines and amazing arcs, so I think there's room to use him, but I it already had a lot of characters. There was no need to add another. Yeah, and that one, like, there, was, there wasn't there was that much room for him to grow, I think. Especially without Magneto, let's, let's face it. Yeah. Without the and, X-Men in the picture. Mm. And the, the introduction of Vision, having uh, Paul Bettany go from doing the voice of Jarvis to doing to doing Vision, especially watching so many of these movies in quick succession, I was like, this is great, just knowing that he's going to become Vision. Hearing him in, in Tony's head, I ah, it was great. I really appreciated that touch. Okay. Yeah. My 18 is Captain Marvel. My 18, oh, my, my 18 was Iron Man 3, but I did have Captain Marvel earlier as my 20. Yeah, so I'll mark down your 18, and uh, let's do Captain Marvel. Yeah, I have such mixed feelings about Captain Marvel. I, a big part of Captain Marvel, I think, is that it suffered coming out when it did in between Infinity War and Endgame. Doing a fresh origin story at the climax of 23 movies, I, don't, I think that was a bad call. I would love to live in the alternate timeline where they kept her for the next phase. Yeah. Like if Captain Marvel came out today to kick off the next phase of the Marvel movies, I think I would have been a lot more accepting of it. That being said, I also didn't enjoy the movie very much. Um, I found it was a very it was very reliant on the special effects. And I, was, and I wasn't interested in the character. For the origin story of a Marvel superhero, like, you know, Tony Stark goes from this, you know, playboy billionaire jackass to understanding the terrible things that he's done to the world and learning to change. You know, Steve Rogers, like, he, he gets everything he ever wanted, but it, it starts to do, like, a tug of war between what, you know, the good guy that's in him and what he... Like, basically, everyone changes... Like Carol Danvers starts off Captain Marvel as this like you know badass independent woman, and she ends the movie as a badass independent woman who also glows. Yeah, I I saw it more recently. I, I between Infinity War and uh, Endgame, I had a kid, and so Captain Marvel wasn't my top priority. So when I saw it, my expectations and hopes and and where I was in the world had was a lot different from when you first saw it. So. I didn't go into it needing it to be a movie on the same scale as uh, as Infinity War and Guardians of the Galaxy, or sorry, Infinity War and Endgame, and I, so maybe that helped, having those lowered expectations. Probably. Uh, I, I enjoyed just watching it as a pure origin story. Um, that being said, and I enjoyed where it was going up until the last, like, half hour or so when she fully taps into her powers and is completely unstoppable and there's no threat to her whatsoever. Yeah, and she, then I was sort of just, I, I kind of tuned out. And let's not like mince words, like she absorbs the power of an infinity stone, I guess, which is a big deal in this universe, but they kind of just gloss over it. It's yeah. Like, and, oh yeah, and she the, has infinity power now. I mean, yeah, that, that sort of goes back to the early days of the movies where I don't think they fully grasped what they were doing with the Infinity Stones at the very beginning. So, like, the Aether is an Infinity Stone, and I never fully got on this rewatch of, of Thor 2 what that was and what that meant in that moment. But by the time you get to the where they're actually using the Infinity Stones in the Gauntlet, they clearly have a great idea of what each one does. Yeah, in this right. movie, she just sort of shoots blasts of energy out of her whenever she wants, and she and, can do anything. And flies through spaceships to blow them up. 
Yeah. And that and was her big contribution to Endgame as well, was that she could fly through a spaceship. It's like That is the least interesting way to solve that problem. Yeah, uh, and I mean, not to, to get too deep in the woods on the other movies, but at the end of Infinity War, Captain Marvel gets called on the pager, and you're like, oh, this is exciting. And then you see this movie, and you get an origin for it, and you're like, well, that was interesting. I, I hope it pays off in some way in Endgame. And then in Endgame, she's just kind of one of the chorus. Like, she's just there. And and I think part of that is that they shot a lot of Endgame before they shot Captain Marvel, so they didn't really know what was happening with her. But it felt anticlimactic. It was like, oh, well, we needed to see this to explain something that happens in Endgame. But you don't. Yeah, it didn't. She didn't need to be there. The movie doesn't change without her. It I mean, it sucks to say, but, like, the common refrain seems to be that, like, that Captain Marvel was scheduled to release earlier than maybe it should because Marvel felt like they needed to have their own Wonder Woman. Right. And that's gross for so many reasons, and it's a shame. Um, but it's it's hard to deny it seems like that if you're looking at the big picture. I think removed from all the context of what was going on in the rest of the world, this movie does hold together on its own better than I thought it would. Um, some of the 90s stuff feels way more forced than, say, the 80s stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it still is good. The The de-aging effects on Coulson and Fury are good. Uh, one thing I really didn't like was how they, they dealt with Fury's eye. Like, that just felt yeah, like doing it, like, the character a huge disservice. Like a joke in a joke? Like it yeah. Was, yeah. Cat, Captain Marvel, not the bottom of the list, but not our favorite. Okay, so my 17 is Incredible Hulk. Okay, my 17 was Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay, and yeah. my... And, well, hang on, thanks. My Incredible... I had Incredible Hulk earlier. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I had mine way down at 21, and you had it up at 17? Uh, yeah, yeah. I really like this movie. Um, it, I mean, I know it's ranked low here, but whenever I see it, I'm like, man, this is just a fun action movie. As far as action movies go, yeah, it's fun, but some for some reason it didn't grab me any more than any other movie. And by other movie, in this case, I mean like a regular movie, not a Marvel movie, which I'm holding to such a high standard. Um, I think part of the problem is that I didn't see it until after I'd already seen Avengers, and the contrast between Mark Ruffalo and Edward Norton is a, is a big one. That's true, that's true. But I do like Ed Norton, and, and if we're going to go to the comics as the source material, I feel like Ed Norton is a better Bruce Banner. If you're tra- talking about pure sort of staying true to the source material, he's, Bruce Banner is a skinny, sort of wiry guy who's always on edge and looking over his shoulder and is brilliant. And Mark Ruffalo is generally kind of this laid-back goof. Yeah, they, when they introduce him in Avengers, they give the impression that he's like he's much later in Hulk's arc. Like yeah. he's already been through the awkward origin phase and now he's got more going on. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. Um, but I do think I do really like this movie. And one of the things that I I that stand out to me is it's very obviously Toronto. So I get some sort of yeah. small adrenaline jolt when I'm like, I've been there. I know that place. And uh, the other thing about it is that there there's that moment towards the end, the big fight between our hero giant green monster and the bad guy giant green monster when Hulk gets into his rage and yells Hulk smash for the first time and the only time in that movie every time I see it that gives me goosebumps I love that moment 
Yeah, that's Hulk's Avengers Assemble. That's Yes. Yeah, it was very well timed. Uh, also should point out as an aside that it's a shame that we didn't get more Liv Tyler in the MCU. Uh, it was a joy to see her there. That's uh, true. Um, it was a surprise to see Thunderbolt Ross uh, start there. I mean, he starts in the Hulk, then we don't see him again for a while until Civil War, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And where he's talking about the Sokovia Accords, and it was the first time where they were like, "Yes, we are a hundred percent confirming that the Incredible Hulk movie is part of this universe." I know Tony Stark has a cameo in Incredible Hulk, but this for real ties them together. Yeah, but just wow, why bring him back and not Liv Tyler? Ugh. Oh well, it's a good question. They brought back the other Betty Ross. Uh, Betty Ross from the the Ang Lee one uh, Hulk movie was played by Jennifer Connelly, and she is the voice of the computer in Spider Man's head in Homecoming. Huh, no kidding. The there you go. Friday. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Or no, is Friday the Irish one in Tony Stark's head? Yeah, anyway, maybe. there's too many AIs. Yeah, and ne- none of them were in the Incredible Hulk, so we're way off topic. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just the Hulk, I just, not that much happened in it, not that much was memorable, except for, like, looking at all my favorite landmarks from Young Street. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, it's, uh, it's not a bad movie in any sense, it's fun to watch, but it, it doesn't top, like, there's so many more cooler moments in a lot of the other movies for me, um, which is why it was so far down on my list, but sort of close to halfway on yours. I'm, frankly, I'm surprised. I'm a surprising guy. I have, uh, you know, varied interests and tastes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so do you want to move on? Yeah. yeah. For my 16, I got uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, okay. I got Ant-Man and the Wasp. All right. Which you had down at 21? Yeah. And uh, so I guess I'll I'll just start and say, like, the thing... I guess the problem that you had with Captain Marvel is what I had with Ant-Man and the Wasp. I just found it very unmemorable. Yeah. No, that's not a bad... I mean, hmm. Ooh, I just (laughs) contradicted myself. Both the Ant-Man movies are kind of unmemorable, but I feel like they're also supposed to be. Both of them were sort of chasers. You know, both of them were intended as a break from the larger arcs, so I don't know if they were designed to be... Well, maybe that's a silly thing to say. Of course, they would want us to remember them. But they weren't meant to have as large an impact as something like Civil War, right? Yeah. Um, I guess I just don't... It just didn't... I, none of it really stuck with me. You know, they he gets really big. The, you see the giant man stuff, but that is is taken care of in Civil War before this, so it wasn't a huge reveal. The villains unremarkable. Like I don't even really remember much of it. Uh, uh, Wasp is a real stereotypical, you know, super confident uh, badass. Yeah, it was, it was a Lois and Peter relationship, right? Like the woman who isn't appreciated, who can do everything, and the guy who's just a goofy screw-up but gets all the credit. Yeah, and that in this day and age feels very played out. It's, it's like, uh, what's the name of the character from the Lego movie? Oh, shoot. The Elizabeth uh, Banks one. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the the Emmett and and the girl in that and they're um, they're making jokes about it, but it's the you know Neo Trinity that whole thing where the just the hyper competent woman and the goofy guy who happens to be just as good as her but is doing it all by accident. Yeah, that that does get really frustrating, whether in a superhero context or even a, like a rom com context. Yeah, it's it, it's it's become so cliche, it's exhausting. And as for the villains. Um, the, right, who are they? <laughs> <laughs> there's Ghost, but she's nothing like the Ghost. I think that was her name from the the comics. So I, I she's sort of a tragic character in this. And then yeah. 
um, what is his name? Bill something. He's <laughs> he's Goliath. <laughs> he's in the comics. He's just a straight up hero, sort of second or third list hero after Giant Man and and Ant Man, and he gets killed tragically in Civil War in the comics. Um, but to make him a villain in this again feels weird and unnecessary. I don't know. It just I, we're in we're in this sort of middle ground with the list where they're not great movies, but they're not terrible movies. So it's sort of hard to talk about them in any yeah. great depth. They're sort of and just I, the mushy middle. And I think it also stands out that like Ant Man and the Wasp is 2018, and we can barely remember what was in it, right? Like I remember a lot of. St- I didn't like Iron Man two, but it was it came out eight years earlier, <laughs> and I remember it more of it. So. Maybe that tells you all you need to know, but right back to your first comment. It's just not very memorable. Okay, so my number 15 is Doctor Strange. My number 15 is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, right. So, so we were pretty close on that one. Yeah. Okay, why don't you lead off with this one? Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, again, like you said, it's sort of in the middle. It's, it, I really did like it. It just didn't reach the heights of the other movies. Um, I, 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 everybody loved Baby Groot. We don't need to go over that. Like, I really liked Kurt Russell's performance as Ego. He was great. But a lot of this movie, I felt, was reaching for what Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was and kind of suffers for it. Like, they, like, the soundtrack in Guardians of the Galaxy was such a hit. And then, like, they used all the good songs, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, and so the ones in this one are kind of, eh, I, I, I don't know. Um, they tried to play around with some new interesting things that didn't go anywhere. Um, the I don't even remember their names, but the gold people are sort of like a B-plot villain that don't accomplish much. It looks like they're creating Adam Warlock in the after credits, but that never pays off for anything. Well, maybe it will in Guardians 3, but Adam Warlock is typically the sort of the hero that goes up against Thanos, at, yeah, at least in the role, old days it was. But that role was supplanted by Vision. Um, yeah. And, so and they didn't so, need him. Yeah, but it feels like it would be lost if they don't do something with him. But it would have to be in Guardians 3, I would think. Although there's stuff in Endgame that sets up what uh, Guardians 3 may be. Although, yeah. who knows? That's still years away. But yeah, that's... yeah. As focusing on this movie, it just... like It didn't seem to accomplish much. I, well, I'm getting deja vu. I think I probably talked about this on our show when it came out. But, like, the scene, like, they're, they're, they're having a spaceship chase, but all the drones are being controlled by the gold people, and it's like a, a video arcade. Yeah. It's like, 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 they made it like, oh, now every, it's not just Star-Lord, and now everyone is in the 80s. That's right. Of, eh. Maybe it goes back to, like, what we were talking about with Age of Ultron. Like, if everyone's funny, then nobody's funny. And very, and there are some people who just can't do that kind of funny well. Yeah, and, and the other thing about it, I don't like Star-Lord becoming a god or half a god or whatever it is. He works to me best as an everyman and he loses something when he becomes all-powerful. Like, I like a lot of the stuff that happens in the movie, but the entire time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't want him... I want him to be the underdog. Like, god versus god isn't interesting to me. I want him to be a scrappy guy who beats the all-powerful villain just by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, I can see that. On the other hand, you know, this movie introduced Mantis, and she's a ton of fun. She's great. Her relationship with Drax is awesome. Yeah, one of the most memorable parts of that movie. Again, Kurt Russell as Ego was phenomenal. 
every, every line out of his mouth, all the visual direction just around building the character, the, the way he bounces off of Chris Pratt was so good. Like, yeah, I, I'm not as enamored with that performance as, as others are. I, no I don't kidding. know. I just, I find him, his his line readings feel very stiff to me. And I find that with a lot of Kurt Russell performances. Um, and it, it, there, there's a lot I like about the character. I like the writing. I like a lot of the, the artistry around it. His just, performance just doesn't quite hit for me. Hmm. Well, agree to disagree, I guess. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> Should we move on, or do we? I, yeah, we yeah. It also continues, or or really starts the arc of redeeming Nebula. Oh, true. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. It didn't there's occur also, to me. There's also some great stuff with Rocket in there, and the teenage Groot is great. I mean, even even a bad Guardians movie, like with all these movies, is still really good. Was this teenage, one was teenage Groot in Guardians too? Well, I think at the end he's he's okay. You see him maybe in the end yeah. credits. Then. Oh man! And we were about to move on. We didn't mention Yondu, who's fantastic. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah. So good. But that, like, he he may have been like your like he may have been your father, but I was your daddy, or however yes. that line goes. Like just like oh my heart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, that, and that that would have been a crime. I'm glad we remembered that before we thank moved you, on. Yeah. And it's 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 very different from how he's portrayed in the first movie, but man, it works really well. And and Michael Rooker brings it in that role. I think he's better than than Kurt Russell, frankly. Um, I, some of the yeah. Anyway, that's you're right. We should have mentioned that earlier. He's he's really good. All his scenes are fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so number fourteen for me was Black Panther. Fourteen for me was Black Panther. Wow. It's oh. like we're the same person. <laughs> well, some of these things were pretty do- different on, but yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Black Panther is the first one on this list that I feel bad that it's this low, but I like everything above it more. Yeah. But I almost feel guilty because I think Black Panther was such a great accomplishment. I have a couple of nitpicks here and there. I found the fights were a little like CG, like CG heavy to the point of being uninteresting. Yeah, the and to the point where they were unnecessary. Like the the thing that really stands out as an unnecessary touch in this was the like the war rhinos that fight at the end, like these battle rhinos. And I was like, they're just CGI monstrosities. They add nothing. Like they're just there to be spectacle for no reason. And I, yeah. that really bugged me. And the final battle uh, between him, uh, well, between the Black Panthers, I guess. I right. just. I, I was completely uninterested in watching. There was nothing dramatic about it. They were both doing karate around each other, and I was just waiting for the scene to be over. But now that those villain, like, yeah, that villain is amazing. Yeah, he's he's if not the best villain in the MCU, he is up there in the top two or three. It's they did what they could with the name Killmonger. I mean, yep, <laughs> you know, like it's there's obviously sort of that just. Oh, comic books. Okay. But, okay, fine. He's Killmonger. We'll move on. That was a villain in the Marvel Universe where you're going, yeah, you know what? Actually, hmm. Not a good point. Yeah. And then, and and everyone talk. And so does Black Panther kind of come around to his way of thinking by the end? Uh, kind of. Which, Which is but, amazing. You never see that. Yeah, it was really interesting. And 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 but let's anyway, we're we're like, we're we're skipping the obvious. We're burying the lead. Like like T'Challa is amazing. Suji is amazing. Suri? Suri, um, yeah. Suri. 
I'm, I'm getting her confused with Soji off of Picard. They're both you know pretty <laughs> girls who can kick ass. Um, like the, like the movie was su- it, it posited such a cool world and so many cool things happened and the way they go back and forth between like the the lifestyle and the art design of Wakanda and then when they're undercover like in the rest of the world and con- comparing and contrasting the two and like general oh and I'm gonna I, I don't even gonna bother to pronounce it Okoye Okoye oh yeah yeah Okoye yeah. she's fantastic I just like they they created such a cool place. And they did such cool things with it, and and at you know at the risk of sounding like a jerk, I'm going to point out that I understand I'm not the target audience for this. Like the way, like I'm trying to picture if I was a young black person, you know, like living impoverished, like in, like well, I, I brought a name like a third world country, but let's do it, you know in the states. Like yeah. this movie would have meant so much to that young man, and I'm sure it does mean so much to those young men out there. And I feel like I'm not giving it what it's due because it's like it's like it's broadcasting on a frequency I can't pick up. The message that it has isn't mm-hmm. for me, but I understand that it's there, and I understand that that must have been so valuable to so many people uh, that I feel a little guilty rating it this low. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right, and and I do appreciate that it's an important movie, and that it's it sets uh, a table for a great franchise that could stand on its own outside of the Marvel universe, but fits very neatly into the Marvel universe. And I feel like Black Panther, especially when it came out as late as it did, was able to use stuff from the other movies, but didn't rely on them and created a world of its own. And yes. it's it's connected to the Marvel movies, but isn't you don't need those movies to fully understand it like you do with some of the other ones. Uh, I also really like the casino scene. It felt very James Bond to me, and I was like, man, I know um, the guy who plays Black Panther has got a lot on his plate. Chadwick Boseman's got a lot on his plate, but he would be an interesting choice to take over as James Bond. I would ab- I would watch all three of them as characters in a Bond movie, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I also, Ulysses Claw is in this. He first appeared, I believe, in... Civil War, and he's not... He was, no, he's in Ultron. Oh, he's in Ultron. And he's yeah. not, like, a great villain by any stretch of the imagination in the comics. He's sort of a weird side character, but his performance is so good. The The actor who uh, plays him is fantastic, and I, I he's always good, whatever he's in, but in this, he steals a lot of scenes, even is though the, he's a relatively is that, is minor Is that not character. Andy Serkis? That's Andy Serkis. Sorry, the yeah. name escaped me for a moment. But yeah, he's he's so good in that. Usually he's playing apes or giant weird space emperors uh, under lots of CGI makeup. But this is one of those few times where you get to see him in his regular appearance, and he's so good. Yeah, it makes you wonder why he doesn't do it more often. It was fun to watch. Okay, shall we uh, move Mosey on? along. Yes. For me, number 13 is Far From Home. Ah, okay. Well, my number 13 was Captain America First Avenger, uh, but Far From Home was down lower on my list at 17. Um, the latest movie in the MCU, I suppose, and I people talk about it like it's closing out the Infinity War saga, whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't find it served that purpose at all. Um, I it's, liked it. It's kind of like an epilogue. Is it, though? I mean... What the the only thing that Apple, like the only thing that carries over is that Spider-Man is nervous about being the new Iron Man. Like nothing else that happens 
in like the the A arc of the, all of these movies affects this movie. I mean, yeah, I, I would say the the other thing would be the age difference between the characters who were disappeared and, and the ones who stayed behind. That is a factor that probably won't be addressed much in future movies and, and had an impact on some of the plot of this. Yeah, but, I, but not an interesting one. Like, you weren't sitting there going, wow, how is this going to work? <laughs> That's fair. I, That's fair. But I, I, I really like Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. He, you know, when I heard Mysterio was going to be the villain, I was like, wow, there's so many other Spider-Man villains. But I mean, I guess this is one we haven't seen before. And he did a really good job. He, they, they made the character interesting and, and in a different sort of unique way than how he usually is in the comics. And they used his powers to a really great disorienting effect. Yeah, yeah. Having the, the, the drones was a nice compromise. It, it just being, you know, magic. Yeah, and but but the the drones and then like they when they do the the I I don't want to listen. It was a scarecrow sequence. Let's face it. When they do sure. the scarecrow sequence to Spider Man, like even though you sorta did understand what was going on, like that was still a huge amount of fun because of how wild it was. Yeah, and you, I, you I, really that, didn't that know did what was going to happen next. Yeah, that did go super well. You had no idea what was happening. Period. Yeah, uh, so so I guess the things that knock it back a little bit for me are, the, I know this is real nitpicky, but there's a moment where Peter's on the bus and he's trying to stop this drone thing from, from or he accidentally activates the drone and it fires on the bus and he has to stop it. And it's like, I don't really need to see an action scene that revolves around the incompetence of our hero. Not, not in a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, and that, and we'll talk about it, but the the other Spider-Man movie had this as well. I think it's what suffers, like, it, it's something that you're going to get when you have it, because the Spider-Man movies are teen comedies, you know? Like, they're set in high school, and, like, those have certain tropes. Like, you have to have, like, the guy who's too tongue-twisted around the girl and stuff, and it's, I get that that's what those movies are, but they aren't what I wanted to watch. Does that I, I don't, that's fair, and I, I don't mind that, especially, uh, we'll, I'll let you know how much I like that movie when we get to it. But in the first one, I don't mind. It, it, to me, it has to, the incompetence or the confusion or whatever has to come from the character. And Peter misusing technology doesn't fit for me. Like he's he's That's supposed to be a technological genius, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he's supposed to be brilliant. And we do see that in the movies even because they play him as young Tony Stark. Yeah. So he, yeah, so he should be able to figure this stuff out. But figuring out girls or interpersonal relationships can be a struggle for him, and that feels like it's right for the character. Anyway, okay, that's, no, that's, an imp- that's an important distinction. You're right. Yes, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it um, it also might have suffered a little from coming off of the Tales of Endgame. Um, but yeah, it was it was lower on my list than it was on yours. But yeah, it definitely doesn't hit the. It's not in the top five. No. Okay, so my number 12 is Ant-Man. All right, my number 12 is Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, wow, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let me just mark that down. Uh, my 11 is Captain America First Avenger. Uh, okay. Uh, my 11 was Doctor Strange. So now we so have to talk about both of those. We got a twofer. Don't write that down somewhere. We got to talk about First Avenger and then uh, Captain America. Or, sorry, First Avenger and then Doctor Strange. Okay. I'm doing 14 things at once. <laughs> and doing it so well. Uh, uh, all yeah. right, so so Captain America, the First Avenger, is a pretty good World War II movie. 
um, which is fine, but it just seems so a little strange compared to the rest of like, everything else that it set off. And that in no way does it a disservice. I've watched that movie and rewatched it a few times because I really like it. I really like him. I really like Red Skull. I really like the fighting the Nazis plot. I think it's done better than you know more supposedly realistic World War II movies. But I think it just kind of sticks out. I don't know if it's just that it was too entrenched in its own time period, but it sort of feels kind of like the you know like the weird kid in the schoolyard compared to the rest of these movies. Yeah, I will give you that. It's it's so as we know by this point, there is sort of a filmmaking style and formula to a lot of the Marvel movies, and Captain America, you'd think, would be firmly in that mold. But the director of it, I think it was Joe Dante, is has a style all his own. And in the early days of the Marvel movies, they were trying things out, and this feels very different from the template that Iron Man set. So I think that's what sets it apart for better or worse from the other movies. That being said, Chris Evans as scrawny Steve Rogers is so good, even if he is mostly a special effect, his performance makes you believe it and you really root for him from the get-go. Oh, Tom- yeah, it's it, it's not just the way he looks either. Like the stuff he does, you know, he, he throws himself on the grenade. When, when, he, when they're doing the drills, it's like the first soldier to get the flag back gets to ride on the jeep back to base and everyone's trying to climb the flagpole and they can't do it and he just like undoes the hooks at the bottom and knocks the pole over. Right. Like, he's still a fully realized like he's not it's not just funny because he's scrawny. He's still a fully realized character. They do that so well and that, I like go ahead. I just that you you're already have identified with him before he becomes Captain America and it helps you believe that that scrawny kid full of heart is still in there even after they, you know, reveal the uh, the jacked body. <laughs> Yeah, and I think in if the movie had been made 10, 20 years earlier, they would have had a different person playing scrawny Steve Rogers versus regular Steve Rogers. And even, I don't think it would have been possible to watch that movie and not have a disconnect between the two versions of the character. But having Chris Evans, even if it's his face on someone else's body or whatever other CGI trickery they did, you connect the two versions of the character and... He he works like you you buy it as the same guy all the way through and you feel for him all the way through and like you get that he's he's not used to this big body and he's not used to being able to rely on his physicality. So he is smarter than than he would have to be if he was just, you know, a big Calvin Klein underwear model. And everyone else in the movie is, you know, you, you totally buy Carter, you totally buy his, you know, his group of misfits. Like it, it all. You even you even buy the, the, the it's Hydra. Yeah, it's 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 early Hydra because they're yeah. not secret, super secret yet. But still, Hydra as the like comic book Nazis. You buy them all. It's it's a really like I would have loved to see. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy with it. But I would have loved to see this movie as an Indiana Jones movie. You know, like sure. it's got so much of that into it. Like I, I, I just as a totally separate thing, I would have loved to see how that went down on its own because I liked what happened in it so much. It would have been interesting to get a few movies set in that era or in that mold. And that is kind of one of the things strikes against this movie. I feel like the the end is kind of anticlimactic. Like the end fight between Cap and the Red Skull doesn't have much oomph to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. But I still... I, I, it wasn't a terribly interesting fight, but I was still so rooting for him that it was okay. Yeah, and especially when the plane starts going down, he's having that heartfelt conversation with Peggy Carter, and it's like, you 
buy that romance in that moment and the tragedy of it. Yeah, which is important because you don't realize at that point how much it's going to like weigh over the rest of his character development. Uh, yeah. So it's very important that they set it up early, and they did, and they did it really well. Okay, let's uh, move on to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. So sorry, just to double check. So I had this one at my 11, and where did you have it? I had it at uh, 15. Okay, a, a chunk lower. Yeah. Right, well, yeah, you, you put it lower. You go ahead. What, did, what about this one for you? So I'll say the the stuff that set it lower is that I, I, as much as I like Benedict Cumberbatch and a lot of things, his American accent in this does not work for me, and it makes it it just I feel him acting through every moment of the movie. Like he just is. It's I don't see Stephen Strange. I see Benedict Cumberbatch trying to wrangle an accent, and I <laughs> guess that's nitpicky, but that's my just my feelings on it. Accents do seem to bother you a lot. This isn't the first time it's come up in the last couple of episodes. <laughs> they have to be done well, and there's some people who do it so well that it makes stuff like this hard to stomach, you know? Like, he, they, there's so many British people playing American superheroes, and you would never know they were British. And in this, all I can hear is Benedict Cumberbatch doing these hard R's so he's not sounding British. It drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about it is there's this amazing cast in the, the movie, and so many of them, I feel, are underserved. Like, Mads Mikkelsen is so cool in Casino Royale and in Hannibal, and he's great in this, uh, As and but he's the secondary villain by the end of it. Like, Dormammu is the big bad who has to be the fought at the end, but... Yeah, but does Dormammu count as a big bad? Like, Dormammu is, like, the volcano after the evil scientist has set off his bomb, you know? Like, Dormammu isn't really a character. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, like, I think, like, I think Kaecilius gets the, the villain role for this one. He has a couple of good come-to-the-dark-side speeches. Yeah. I, I will say, though, that when I was thinking about this movie, I, I started rewatching it the other night, and when I was watching it, I was like, I completely forgot that Mads Mikkelsen was in it. Hmm. So maybe that's on me, but it just felt like he was he was barely there. And then you've got um, Chuadal Ejiofor as uh, Baron Mordo, well, Carl Mordo in this. I guess he's not a Baron yet, but in the <laughs> that was so funny to me when when they said his name was Carl. I'm not a big Doctor Strange fan, so in the comics he's always been Baron Mordo to me. I never thought he had a never thought about his first name, and then it was revealed <laughs> to be a... Carl. It just felt so. Hey, Carl can be dignified, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like might as well have been Frank Mordo, you know. It's like it doesn't have the same resonance to it. Anyway, <laughs> no, yeah. So he's uh, he's kind of an ally in this, and at the end he goes bad, right? Yeah, yeah. The after credits, apparently he's gone crazy, and he he wants to take out all the other sorcerers out, and then we haven't seen him again. Um, but there's another Doctor Strange movie coming, so presumably he'll show up again in that. With Sam Raimi as the director. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I just so uh, nothing you said is wrong. I think um, I do think visually it was super interesting. I loved the effects. Uh, both with the the mirror and with the inception effects of bending the cities around. Oh my god, they were amazing! Yeah. Uh, rewatching it the other day, I was still blown away by a lot of the effects in it. Yeah, and that lends itself to some cool fight things that they haven't done in some of the other Marvel movies. I really liked that, um, and I really like his. I really like the conceit of his powers, like the idea being like he's he's. 
He's he, he imagine a Harry Potter character who memorized the book but doesn't really have any idea how it works. Yeah. He just knows all the, the bad Latin. Like I kinda like that about him. It's like he doesn't know what he's doing. He has all the coolest guns, but he doesn't know like how to turn off the safety. I I, 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 I liked that. And that sort of translates into that final showdown with Dormammu where it's like it's not a, a battle of fists or who can kick the highest or it's just him depending how you want to look at it, either outwitting Dormammu or just kind of being a dick until yeah. Dormammu wants it just to go and go away. Like, I, I liked that that change. I, I liked that in that character. It's Even though his origin origin is kind of like, oh, he was a genius and a prodigy and then he got wounded, like, the, the, the unique bits of to who he is now separate him from other Marvel characters, and I like that. Yeah, and uh, that that ending, especially 14 movies into this Marvel Universe where it's been giant battles to end all of them, it was a really nice change of pace, and it, it spoke to uh, an intelligence in the writing to have it be a battle of wits rather than it be just another giant city-destroying fight. So I, I appreciated that as well. Um, I, I gotta say, one last sort of casting thing that I think this movie doesn't do well is is Rachel McAdams is the love interest or whatever she is she she has so little to do in the movie and like why put someone like that in this movie if you're not going to use her it does seem overcast but i understand that like there was no role for that kind of a character in that like in that in doctor strange as a character in his life and what he's going through i think it would have suffered if they gave him like a, a human sidekick yeah, whether it's a love interest or a best friend or whatever, like whoever his Ned would have been, I think it works better just with him in this crazy, mysterious world full of fucking magic ninjas and stuff. Yeah, I don't think she should have had a role. I then then I don't think she should be in it at all, or or at least not have it be Rachel McAdams. Have it be that's yeah. That's it's again. It is overcast. It's mm-hmm. but. But who knows? Like you know, they're they're saying Natalie Portman's going to turn out to be Thor in the next Thor movie, so maybe they'll bring her back for something. I'm all on board for that. Yeah, no, but Jane Foster Thor, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so that gets us up to uh, about to our top ten, and uh, you'd like a look at the clock? I think that means we're going to have to call it for now. Yeah, I think uh, we've we we have each gone through our previous 14 movies but there's still some movies that we haven't said yet and we're not like our combined list hasn't hit our top 10 yet i think we've talked about 12 movies so far so that's that's we're about the halfway point (laughs) as far as our combined list there you go so so people at home i hope you like marvel because we're gonna keep talking about it (laughs) next week who's listening to this and doesn't like marvel i'm sure it's exactly yeah all right, well, until then, uh, special thanks go out to Jamie Reum, uh, the guy behind our theme song. And, Graham, how can people get a hold of us? Well, the best way would be at our email address, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at geektop5, and we're on facebook.com slash geektop5. You can also, if you're not interested in using iTunes or some of these other podcatchers that are out there, we are now on Stitcher and on Spotify. Otherwise, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5, and we'll be back to talk to you more next week with the full review rundown of Marvel Movies Part 2.